1: Listener discretion is advised.
0: Amani Gabrielle Moss, or Angel Face as she was often called, was born on April 23, 2004 in Gwinnett County, Georgia. Her birth parents didn't have the best relationship, and in fact, not too long after Amani was born, her mother surrendered her parental rights to her and gave full custody to the child's father, Aman Moss. Aman and Amani lived with his mother, Robin, in her home for the first seven years of Amani's life. During this time, she began to take dance and ballet classes at the age of three. She moved on to study music, and specifically the guitar, when she was five. Little Amani loved to cook and sing songs that she made up. She also loved attending church services with her grandmother and her father, and you could oftentimes see her preaching to her stuffed animals and dolls as she was doing what she saw at church. She would light up a room and was described as an angel on earth. It was that same church that they attended where Amon would meet and eventually fall in love with a woman named Tiffany. She didn't have any children of her own, but she was aware that Amon had a daughter that was around the age of five at the time. Shortly after meeting Tiffany, the couple got engaged and wed in the summer of 2009. Soon after the wedding, the couple got their own apartment and moved in with Imani. They had a baby boy, so Imani was now a big sister, and she adored her baby brother, so she often spoke highly of him in school to her friends and teachers. She just loved being a big sister. During this time, it was 2010, and Imani was a first grader in elementary school. She told a teacher that she was afraid to go home because she had a bad report card and didn't want to be beaten up by her stepmom. Alarmed, the teacher examined Imani and saw some visible bruising and welts on her. She called the police and they went to the apartment to launch an investigation. While there, police confronted Tiffany about the allegations of abuse and she didn't deny them. In fact, she admitted to striking Imani with a belt on her back and again to the back of her head because she wasn't doing her homework. She also said one time she hit her when she was eating her breakfast too slow because she was going to miss the bus. The court decided to remove Amani from the home and place her back with her grandmother, Robin, while they investigated the situation. Tiffany ultimately pled guilty and received five years of probation. The Department of Family and Child Services, or DFACS, also determined the punishments Amani received were corporal and deemed it safe for her to return to living with her father and stepmother. Robin thought that decision was ludicrous, and she fought to keep Amani in her home. Ultimately, the judge denied that, and she went back to Aman and Tiffany. At the time of the incident, Tiffany was working with small children as a pre-K teacher, and due to the abuse of a child charges and being on probation, her license was suspended and she was no longer able to teach and found it difficult to find work. Eventually, the couple had moved out of the apartment and back into the home of Pearlie Bashir, Tiffany's mom. They lived there with Amani, her baby brother, Pearlie, Tiffany, Brittany, Tiffany's sister, and her boyfriend. The home was cramped with all of the family members living there, but Amani continued to attend school and was in third grade now at this time. Tiffany found out she was pregnant with a second child, and seeing that they were already living in small quarters... Aman decided to get a second job so the couple could afford to move out and their growing family could have their own space. Aman was a forklift driver and worked two full-time jobs that equaled to about 16 hours a day for five days a week in order to afford the rent and bills. This left Tiffany as the primary caregiver for the now three children that the couple had. Amani was in school full-time, but after school she would come home and be with Tiffany and her two younger siblings. In the summer of 2012, when Amani was just nine years old, police responded to a 911 call involving a juvenile runaway. The call came from an employee of an apartment complex, and they had a child in their leasing office. When they responded, they were greeted by Amani, who had ran away from her apartment to the leasing office, making claims that she didn't want to go home because her stepmom was mean and she hated her. She said that just a week prior, she tied her up to a chair and beat her with a belt and put her in a cold shower. Police were unable to find any visible markings on her, aside from a red mark on her arm that Amani said she had burned herself while cooking. They decided to go have a discussion with Tiffany about these allegations. Tiffany told officers that Amani was jealous of her and the relationship she had with her father and was being resentful of her siblings and the attention that they got. She said that Amani was a child who was rebellious and due to already being on probation, she, Tiffany, didn't discipline her, but her father, Aman, took care of that. With little to no information to go off of, authorities felt that Amani wasn't in any immediate danger and they left her in the care of Tiffany. Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
1: We take this few seconds off to inform you our valued loyal listener about the best health and fitness podcast shows Enjoy the show.
0: Tiffany. But they also put a report in with defects about the incident because the officer noticed that Tiffany was on probation for a prior abuse charge against Amani. Later that same month, police would again receive another call about the same juvenile running away. This time, the 911 call came in from Aman, the father of Amani, and it was a little after 1 in the morning when he called. He told police that he just arrived home from work and noticed his daughter was missing, and when he asked his wife, she told him that she heard the door slam earlier and thought maybe that was Amani leaving. Police quickly came out and searched the apartment in the immediate area. They eventually located the body of Amani curled up in some bushes outside of the complex. She was sleeping. They woke her up and escorted her back to the apartment. When they asked her why she was sleeping outside, she didn't give a reason, but said she was afraid to go home because she didn't want to get into trouble. Instead of charging the parents, police actually charged Imani with a curfew violation, which would require her to appear in court in the near future. Sometime after these incidences, the family moved back into the home of Pearlie Bashir. They lived there for almost the full school year of 2012-2013 before moving back out and getting yet another apartment of their own. After the school year of 2013 had come to an end, the family visited Aman's mom and sister for Mother's Day. While they were there, Amani seemed different. She was quiet and not herself. The most glaring and noticeable change was her hair that normally was long and beautiful and she had it pulled back in braids or pigtails now was short and almost as if it was hacked off and it was not styled at all whatsoever. When they asked Iman what happened to her hair, his response was that Imani cut it herself. This seemed odd to Robin, and his mom didn't believe him. She wasn't super close with Tiffany, but she also wasn't afraid to confront her either. So she asked Tiffany, point blank, what did you do to my baby's hair? Tiffany responded with, quote, When you act ugly, you get to look ugly. During that same family get-together, Amon was speaking to his sister and his mom about how Tiffany was going to pull Amani out of school next year to homeschool her. They didn't exactly understand why that was an option because they knew that Tiffany was already the primary caregiver, with Amon working such long hours. Plus, they had two kids under the age of four at the time, and one was still in diapers. So, somehow Tiffany was supposed to find time to teach Amani on top of all of this? When they expressed their concerns, Aman didn't seem to care too much and felt the change would be a good one, a positive one for both Tiffany and Amani. The relationship between Tiffany and Amani was a complicated one. Aman even described it as a love-hate relationship. He wasn't around the two as much as he was always working, so he would rely on the messages and phone calls that he received throughout the day from his wife to update him on Amani's behavior. The texts and calls he would get would be nothing but negativity and mischief that Tiffany claims Amani was causing. He didn't feel that there was resentment towards Amani. He felt that maybe Tiffany blamed her for the fact that she lost her job and license and that they had a tight income in the family. That fall came and Tiffany enrolled Amani in a homeschool program where she would check in regularly with teachers online and by phone. The apartment the couple rented was a three-bedroom and they had one room for the younger kids. Amani had her own room, and there was a master bedroom. In addition to that, they have what re- they referred to as the computer room, which was an office with a giant built-in desk that spanned the length of the wall in one of the rooms. Carpeting is a beige plush color, and the desktop is a green marbled formica. A single black laptop rests in the middle of the desk with several stacks of academic books piled neatly in the corner. There is a handwritten sign stuck to the wall just above the monitor. It is written on lined paper with a black Sharpie and it reads Class Rules. Number one, try your best, exclamation point. Number two, smile with a little smiley face next to it. Number three, stay motivated. Number four, have fun. In October 2013, the couple was still living in the new apartment and Amon was working two jobs to afford it. On the weekends when he would be off of work, Tiffany would spend time with friends and family to get a break away from the house and her duties of caring for the kids. Her sister Brittany had a birthday in the end of October, and they decided that the two of them, along with their mother, would go out for dinner and drinks to celebrate it. They spent most of that day exchanging text messages and phone calls about the outfits they would wear and where they would go eat. That was on the 27th. Halloween was just around the corner, and Tiffany's two youngest children were still planning on getting dressed up to go out trick-or-treating. Brittany accompanied them on their journey because Amani was busy working. Amani didn't go trick-or-treating, and Brittany never questioned it, because she thought Amani was sitting at her desk doing homework, so she assumed that she was busy and that's why she didn't attend. At least that's what Tiffany told her. Just two days later, the police department would be dispatched to the apartment on a 911 call for the final time. It was November 2, 2013, when Officer Poppy, who was a patrolman at the time, received a call of a suicide or a possible person posing harm or a threat to themselves. The initial call was a confusing one, but he was in the area, so he sped over. While en route, the call updates would come in from the operator, and by the time he arrived on scene, the call had changed from a suicide to a possible dead body of a 10-year-old girl that may have drank some chemicals. As soon as Officer Poppy pulled up to the complex, he saw Amon standing in the parking lot. He asked him where his 10-year-old daughter was because he was confused about the rapidly changing updates of the call and he wanted to be sure that the little girl was safe. Amon stood there and pointed to a silver trash can that laid a few hundred feet away from on a patch of grass right off of the parking lot. Confused and concerned, the officer immediately summoned to his partner to detain Amon while he went over to the trash can to examine the contents. Upon opening the lid, he was horrified and shocked to see that not only was there a body of a small child, but it was badly burned and appeared to be wrapped in duct tape. Fearing the worst, Officer Poppy wanted to check on the safety and whereabouts of Amon's family, so he went up to the apartment to conduct a safety sweep of the area. He did not locate anyone in the home and decided to secure the apartment in the lot as an active crime scene. Once back downstairs, Officer Poppy asked Amon where his family was, and he said that Tiffany took his two younger children and left for her mother's house. Officer Poppy made sure that someone stayed at the scene to secure it before crime scene technicians could arrive, but he wasted no time and headed over to the home of Pearly Bashir, looking for Tiffany and the kids. When he got to the home, he saw a silver Trailblazer SUV parked in the driveway, and he ran the plates. The vehicle registration came back to Amon Moss, so he decided to secure the car as well in case any potential evidence of a crime taking place were inside. Then he headed to the front door where he was greeted by Miss Bashir. She said Tiffany was just there but she left with her sister Brittany and wasn't sure where they went. She allowed the officer to enter the home and she pointed to a pile of clothing that was immediately to the right of the entrance. She said those were the clothes that Tiffany had on when she came in and quickly changed out of them and left with her sister. When officers asked what vehicle they left in, she said that Tiffany came over early in the morning and knocked on the door until they woke up and answered it. She didn't know why Tiffany was there, but she appeared nervous and worried and said, don't let them take my babies. She handed the kids off to her mom and ran back out to the car for their belongings and car seats. Once inside, she lost her keys and said she needed help and had to leave, so she ran and woke her sister up. Once her sister Brittany was awake, they got into the car, and Brittany said the only thing Tiffany would tell her was where she needed to go. Other than that, the only things Tiffany said were directions and that she needed help. They pulled up a long driveway that was surrounded by woods, and there was a gate to an apartment complex. Tiffany said, stop, let me out here. She tried to describe to her sister how to get back to the main roads, but that didn't work out so well, and Brittany became lost, and it took her a long time to get home. Once she arrived back at the house, she was welcomed by police, who immediately asked her where her sister was. She said she didn't know because, honestly, she didn't, but admitted to officers what her mom said was true, that Tiffany did come and wake them up in a panic and said she needed help and that she had to leave. She didn't provide officers with any further information because that's all she had. Meanwhile, back at the apartment, crime scene technicians were beginning to process the scene, and Amon had been taken into police custody for questioning. When he arrived at the station, he initially denied any involvement and said he was at work when he was called by his wife, who informed him Amani passed away from a suicide. She said Amani drank some chemicals and died. He got home from work and panicked and didn't know what to do, so he bought a trash can and put her in there and lit it on fire. Authorities didn't feel Amani was being 100% truthful, and they thought that maybe he was possibly covering up for someone. During that time, the body of Amani was being examined by a coroner to determine the exact cause of death. Immediately, they knew it was foul play. The child was not only stuffed into a trash can and set on fire, but her limbs were distorted and confined to her body tightly with duct tape. There is no way possible she could have done this to herself, much less a single individual could do this on their own without any help. They noted her weight was only 32 pounds, which is considered extremely malnutritioned for a child of her height and age. A healthy weight would be double that in the 60 to 70 pound range. Examining the contents of her stomach showed she had nothing in it, not even water. So the chemical theory was not even possible. Medical examiners determined she had been withheld food and water for quite a few days, which is ultimately what killed her. She was starved to death. Knowing this, the detectives went back to Amman and confronted him. He said he was covering for someone, and that person was his wife, Tiffany. Police were still unable to locate her at the time, but shortly after fleeing, Tiffany surrendered herself to police custody when she realized that her ID and the $200 she had on her were not going to get her too far. Under arrest for the suspicion of murder and concealment of a body, both Amon and Tiffany initially pled not guilty. In Georgia, where this crime took place, they still seek the death penalty and the grand jury indictment that was handed down on them showed that they were planning to try and convict them and they could face the death penalty, life in prison without the possibility of parole or life in prison with the possibility of parole. The judge decided that the two of them would be tried separately. Pearlie Bashir, the mother of Tiffany, petitioned to the court for the custody of the two younger children, Amon and Tiffany, had. Robin Moss, Aman's mother, also petitioned for them. Robin was distraught and said the loss of Amani could have been prevented if someone would have just listened to her. She said the many times police were called to the home when Amani ran away were cries for help and no one heard or believed her. She said that it broke her when they moved Amani out of her care in 2010 and into the home of the abuser who ultimately killed her. The judge said that due to the lack of a stable home and finances for Robin, she was not as fit of a home for Amani as Tiffany and Amon were. He did, however, feel that she would not be able to provide for the younger children and that she really didn't have a relationship with them to begin with. Robin claimed she tried but was denied repeatedly by Tiffany to have any access to those grandkids. When the judge addressed Miss Bashir, it was a bit of a different tone. He said not only was he going to deny her request for custody, but he said quote, it is unfathomable to the court that Miss Bashir could not have known that Imani was being abused and mistreated at some point between 2010 and October of 2013. At best, Miss Bashir turned a blind eye to the suffering and ultimately to the death of a child who had been living in her home off and on for over three years. End quote. Robin Moss ultimately sued the Georgia Department of Family and Child Services for their gross neglect of Amani's case, and the result was two DFACS employees were fired and four others were disciplined. In August of 2015, almost two years after the murder of his daughter, Aman changed his plea to guilty. He would be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, and he agreed to testify as a witness for the state against his wife in her murder trial. Over the course of the next three years, the judge would attempt to appoint counsel to Tiffany, who refused to be represented and said she was leaving this in God's hands. She wished to represent herself, which everyone has the right to. Typically, the defendant will opt to have a lawyer. Even if they can't afford one, the judge will provide one for you at the state's cost. Also, a person who wishes to defend themselves has to be deemed to do so by passing a psychological... Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
1: Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show.
0: Pull ...exam to determine if they were in the right frame of mind when they made that decision. The judge determined that Tiffany was fit and of sound mind and felt if she wanted to represent herself in a murder trial where she ultimately faced the death penalty, she could. He was even so blunt with her at times and said, you realize you could potentially be walking into a death sentence when she refused to be assigned an attorney. The trial was delayed for other reasons, too, much of them due to the lack of work that Tiffany was doing on her side. She had five boxes of evidence files that were stored at the library in the jail where she awaited her trial. She never looked at them. She rarely spoke. She declined to call any witnesses of her own, despite the state having ten against her. When the judge asked her if she needed anything from the court, her only request was that she needed pencils, so the judge made sure she had access to writing instruments for the duration of her trial. Opening arguments commenced on April 24, 2019, and the trial lasted for four days. The state had opening arguments, but the defense, Tiffany herself, had nothing to say. Among the witnesses brought in to testify was Amon. He took the stand and revealed the shocking and horrifying events that happened to Amani that ultimately caused her death. I must warn you, the content is disturbing to say the least. I will do my best to give you the information without as much graphic details as possible. I did watch the entire Trial, and I was fortunate that the camera panned away when the photos of evidence were shown because the gasps from the courtroom I heard were enough for me to determine I didn't want to know what they saw. So if you are unable to handle this content, please stop listening now. Amon Moss was led into the courtroom wearing a dark green prison jumpsuit. He was escorted by armed policemen who unchained his wrist shackles that were attached to his hips, restraining his hands. He raised his right hand and took the oath to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help him God. He explained the relationship between he and Tiffany after they met in 2007 was a friendship at first. But they started to grow into a relationship by 2009 and shortly after they were so in love they decided to get married and start a family of their own. He was not aware where Imani's birth mom was at the time because she signed her rights off to this child soon after she was born, and the two never maintained contact. Initially, he felt the relationship between Tiffany and Amani was a good one, and Tiffany never expressed any concerns about being a single father or having a child from a previous relationship. Once the incident in 2010 happened where Tiffany pled guilty to beating Imani, she lost her job and the finances in the home became tight, Forcing them to move back in with Tiffany's mom. He said that's when she became pregnant with their son, and soon after they decided that she should be a stay at home mom since it would be hard for her to find work because she was on probation and childcare is expensive. They determined, in order for them to afford to live on their own, that he, Amon, who was already working a full time job in a warehouse, would have to get another one in order to afford the bills. He said as a result of the 2010 beating incident that both Tiffany and him had to take parenting classes. That was where he learned that other forms of discipline, such as grounding someone from their friends or taking items away of their value, other than spanking, existed. He was not aware of these other forms of punishment. Prior to Amani moving back home with them, while she was still living with his mother, he recalled his mom begging him to let her stay there. He said he was against it, but the only reason he could come up with was his pride. He felt he needed to take Amani back so he could prove to his mom that he could be a good dad and provide a stable home for his family. So with that, she returned to living with him and Tiffany and now her baby brother. His work schedule was hectic and he would leave the house around 5.30 a.m. for one job and return at 4 p.m., and have just enough time to eat and change before heading off to his next shift that was from 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. Oftentimes, he wouldn't get home until well after 2 in the morning and only have a few hours to sleep before getting it up and doing it all over again five days a week. While he was at work, Tiffany would text him updates on the kids, send him pictures of what she cooked, ask him to bring home food items, and say nothing positive about Imani. The only time she mentioned her was to complain about her behavior. She would say "Amani pooped on the floor and is refusing to clean it up, or she was picking her ass again one day in the end of October of two thousand and thirteen. Tiffany texted Amon to say that Amani pulled a pot of hot water off the stove and burned her stomach. He saw a red scald mark on her abdomen that was about eight inches by eight inches in size, and Tiffany said she put aloe on it so she'll be fine on the day of october twenty fourth two thousand and thirteen. Amon was coming home from his first job, and he began to have car problems. His engine kept overheating, so he'd have to stop and pull over to allow it to cool off. Once he arrived home, he stayed out in the parking lot to attempt to fix the problem. He said he stayed out there a few hours, and once it was dark, he had it inside. Tiffany was in the kitchen fixing his dinner, and the two small children were asleep. Tiffany casually mentioned to him that something was wrong with Imani, and she was in the bathtub. Amon goes in there and he finds his daughter laying in the tub, having to be what appeared a seizure. She wasn't speaking, but it looked like she was trying to say something. He said they needed to call 911, but Tiffany refused. She said, no, we can't. We'll lose our family. I'm on probation and if the cops come and see how skinny she is, I'll go to jail and we'll lose our family. So what does Amon do? He carried Amani's body from the tub to her room and laid her in her bed. He then gets dressed and goes to his second job. In the days following, Amon went on about his routine of working two jobs, getting little, if any time, at the apartment. He said when he was there that he would check on Amani, but she would just be laying in her bed. She had scabs all over her by this time, and he noticed the scald on her stomach where she was burned had started to become infected. Again, he didn't take her to the doctor, or even call 911. When asked why he didn't do anything, Amon said he felt like he was trying to fix something that wasn't fixable and that Tiffany was so worried about getting caught that she said that they had to get rid of the body so that no one would know. She said, well, she's run away so many times before, the police will believe it, and that was their plan. To let Amani lay in her bed, alone, and starve to death. One of the most painful and cruelest ways to die. On October 29, 2013, while at work, Amani received not a text from Tiffany, but instead a phone call. Amani had died. The words Tiffany used were, she's gone. After hanging up the phone, Amon doesn't leave. Instead, he works the remainder of his shift and heads home later. When he arrived, he found Tiffany sitting on the couch watching TV, and the other two kids were running around the house playing. He went into Monty's room, and he could tell she was dead, her body was cold, and her eyes looked like she had passed away. He again said he wanted to call 911 to get help, but fearing for Tiffany, he didn't. Instead... He changed his clothes, and he had it off to his second job, leaving his wife at home with his two children and his now dead daughter. The next day, he decided to move her body from her room to the computer room. He said he wasn't sure what they were going to do, but Tiffany spent a lot of time watching the TV show Criminal Minds, and she said that they had to start thinking like that to decide what to do. She wanted to bury the body, but Amon refused. He instead thought they should cremate her, so after he finished his shift, he went to Walmart and purchased a bag of charcoal briquettes, lighter fluid, a silver trash can with a lid, and black garbage bags. Amani was enrolled in online school for that fall, so in order to keep up with the appearance that she was still attending, Tiffany was logging on for her and completing her schoolwork. She even sent several texts to Aman to stage the appearance that Amani was still there, and in one message she said she was talking to one of her teachers, and Amani refused to get on the phone with them. She couldn't get on the phone because she was dead and had been for two days now and she was still laying on the floor of the computer room wrapped up in blankets. Three days had gone by and Tiffany was starting to get upset with Amon and his procrastination. She demanded that they do something about it that night. After trick-or-treating was over and Amon returned from work, they went into the computer room where Imani's remains lay. Amon unwrapped her from the blankets and it had been so long since she passed that rigor mortis had set in. He had no concept of what happens when someone dies and had not been prepared to deal with the now stiff corpse. Her limbs were stiff and he couldn't fit her into the trash can if she remained in the same position. So he had to force her arms and legs down so he didn't do this alone. He needed help from Tiffany. This might have been one of the worst things I've heard a man explain doing. His mannerisms and demeanor were not affected at all. And it was beyond disturbing to me that not only can this man sit up there and talk about these horrible things that he had done, but with such ease and matter-of-factly. When the prosecution asked him if he had a hard time keeping her body in the shape he needed, he quickly agreed and almost let out a laugh. He said that is why they had to use the duct tape. One of them held her limbs down while the other wrapped the roll around her body over and over until she was in a compact enough shape to jam her into the trash can. He mentioned that Amani felt a lot heavier than he thought she would, but he carried her body and loaded her into the trash can that he had already filled the bottom with charcoal. Aman, Tiffany, their two small children, and the now dead body of Amani all piled into the family's trailblazer SUV and headed out to look for a site. Aman said he was driving around aimlessly with no place in mind. He was taking mainly back roads to avoid being caught, and once they reached a park, he pulled over. Tiffany and Amon got out of the vehicle and left the small kids inside. They unloaded the trash can that contained the remains of Amani. Amon said he doused her body with lighter fluid and let one of the briquettes on fire before tossing it into the can with her. He said the flames roared up and he had to look away. He couldn't watch. He's pretty sure Tiffany wasn't looking either. Amon is clearly clueless when it comes to true crime. He was under the impression that the body would quickly burn and be reduced to ash. But you and I both know that that's not how these things work. Not even close. About five minutes after lighting the fire, it dawned on Amon that all of the horrible things he had done and how each action he took after was only making it worse. Much, much worse. He also realized that the remains of Amani were not disappearing as quickly as he had anticipated. So he decided to place the lid on top of the can to snuff out the flames. Since the container was metal, he had to wait around 15 minutes for it to cool off before he could load it back into his SUV and leave. It was about four in the morning now and Amon had to be getting to his first job soon. He decided that they should all head back to the apartment. Once they got there, his wife and the two children went upstairs to bed and he went up to change his clothes. He came back down a short time later to the SUV where his now charred remains of his daughter were in the back of the trash can. He got in and drove to work, parked his SUV in the lot, and went in and worked his shift. He worked the whole day. He planned to go to his second job. He got ready and he went there, still with the remains in the back. He was only at work a short time when he accidentally hit a coworker with the forklift. He felt so distraught and messed up that he almost confessed his crimes to his boss right there. Instead, he kept quiet, and his boss sent him home for the day. Not knowing what to do, Amon reached out to his cousin, and he met him at a nearby gas station. While his cousin was sitting in the trailblazer, Amon confessed his horrific crimes. Alarmed and terrified, his cousin fled the vehicle and said, You need to call 911. That is messed up, man. So Amon decided to do just that. When he arrived back at the apartment, he told Tiffany that he just confessed to his cousin and that he was also planning on calling the police. Fearing about her own self, Tiffany packed up the bags for her kids and fled in that same SUV to her mom's house. Prior to leaving, the trash can was removed from the back and placed on the lawn right off of the parking lot where it was found. At Amon's sentencing in 2015, he read a statement he prepared to the court. Quote, My baby girl, my diamond in the sky. Daddy is so, so sorry. Daddy made a terrible mistake and he is very sorry from the bottom of my heart. End quote. Throughout the trial and all of the witnesses, the defense, Tiffany, had no objections and declined to question any of the state's witnesses on cross examination. She also declined to give a closing argument. In the state's closing argument, they stressed to the jury that this was a case of malice and that it can be formed in an instant. Malice is defined by the intention and lawful manner of causing someone's death. The defendant had every intention to harm and kill Amani, and she did nothing to stop or intervene or prevent it from happening. They bring up the 2010 beating that Tiffany admitted to doing and said if she admitted to beating this child twice with a belt, what is she not telling us? Aman was working 20-hour days to make ends meet and had all his trust in Tiffany that she was providing adequate and proper care for his children. She said the motivation for the hatred that Tiffany had towards Amani was stemming from her own jealousy and insecurities that she had about the relationship Aman had with his daughter. The incident in 2010 resulted in her losing her license and ultimately her job. That was the moment Tiffany resented and blamed Amani, not herself, who was solely responsible for her own actions. She blamed a little girl who at the time was one of the nicest and sweetest souls on earth. The decision to homeschool Amani wasn't made out of the best interest of the child. It was a way for Tiffany to isolate her from friends and teachers at school who protected her and provided her a safe space for her to be in. She said that Amani never left that apartment once they moved in September of 2013. No neighbors or family ever saw her outside the apartment. Tiffany showed she was capable of being a good parent. She took very good care of her two younger children, and was even certified in early childhood education, so if anyone would have the skills, she should. On the date of October 29th, when Amani passed away, Tiffany sent a picture to Aman's phone while he was at work, and it was of a lasagna dinner that she made, and the caption read, I cooked. Amani died alone in her room, covered in her own waste. Her room was full of urine and feces, because towards the end, when her body was so weak, She could only get enough energy to roll out of bed to use the bathroom on her floor to avoid laying in it. The last few days of her life, she was much too weak to move, so she just laid in it. Tiffany cleaned and flipped the mattress and even bought brand new linens for the room to replace the ones that were ruined. Tiffany was motivated by the resentment of Imani. She hated her. She didn't want anything to do with her. It was her fault that they were in the situation they were in. Not Tiffany's. Amani was a nuisance. She was ugly. She was trash. But she wasn't. She was a child, a granddaughter, a niece, a friend to kids who needed one. She was a student who brought joy to her teachers. She was Amani. And she mattered. Damn right, she mattered. As a parent, your job is to protect your child from the evils of this world. Amani lived with that evil right next door. In the room. On April 29, 2019, the jury found Tiffany Moss guilty on all charges. She is recommended for the death penalty and will be the only woman in the state of Georgia on death row. The last female executed was in 2015, and it also happened to be in Georgia. The judge will sentence her sometime in June of 2019. This will conclude the episode. Thank you so much for listening. This will conclude the episode.